Hi, it's Joe. Hi, friends. Aislinn here. And we want to welcome you to the second half of Season 3 of Dinner Table Talks. We are so glad that you are here at our table with us, and we are looking forward to all of the great talks that we're going to have. If you enjoy what you hear, tell a friend. Grab a drink and get your most comfortable chair. Pull it up to the table because we're about to get into it. With gas prices the way they are, and us living so far away from the big city. The big city. And with gas prices the way they are. I am trying to coordinate errands, right? That require a trip to the big city. So you sent me to the restaurant supply store. Right. I love the restaurant supply store. Yeah. I don't like any store, but... (laughs) I usually use it as an occasion to pick something up. Yeah. The last time I went, I picked up one of those, like a big round saucer on a long stick for pulling things out of oil, frying. I was wondering where that came from. <laughs> Home Depot is one of those places where if I had time to kill, I would go and just walk and browse and look and touch. No, no. I don't go to the store. Unless it's the nursery. And even then, it's still like on a mission. But then I, you can catch me wandering. The restaurant supply store is the exact same place for me now. Uh, but when I go and look around in the restaurant supply store, I could easily burn up hundreds of dollars. Well, yeah. Those stuff we use in the kitchen is very important in our life. Here's the trick that I've figured out. If you buy it for an event because we need it for an event, then we have it on hand to use for our house. But then what ends up happening, and this is kind of like what you said last week when the goat roast came together so nicely. When you have these things available, when you put on a big all-day event... It's nice to have the resources at your fingertips. Exactly. Our consumption is certainly outside of the just traditional, like, go and hang out at stores and shop. Oh, yeah, correct. (laughs) And bringing up young kids, going to the mall was a fantastic diversion. There was a playground, there was a carousel, there was the cookie place and the Build-A-Bear workshop that you can go. You know, you could kill a couple hours, but as the kids got older... No, the mall, no, no. No, no. (laughs) the answer's no. Now that all the kids can drive and go to the mall by themselves, it's nice to not have to be in those places. Now, what's interesting is when we go out of town, we'll find ourselves in shopping centers like that because they house interesting things within them that they just don't have here. Yeah, I guess when we go to like Houston and stuff like that, when I go to San Antonio, but it's also because I'm very purposeful going there to get a certain type of thing at the grocery store at a certain store. But generally speaking, the idea of just like, consumption as the thing I want to do with my time. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the pain. It's kind of like the pain entertainment. <laughs> to me, that's painful entertainment. So I, I'll just stay out of it. But I do understand what you're saying where it's like there's certain stores that you can just wander around in because one of the stores that I will just wander around in is Whole Earth Provisions mm-hmm. because they have camping stuff and they have the kind of outdoor clothing that I like right. and they have cool kitschy toys and they have, I mean, it's like they've got things that I like have an interest in, you know, if I'm going to wander around in a store. But how do you feel like going to the movie theater these days? I don't mind going to the movie theater. Okay. That doesn't bother me at all. That's a different experience. In my I just opinion. feel like on the weekends when I get home after being in the big city all week, <laughs> I just want to stay here. I don't want to go anywhere. Well, yeah. Unanswered questions. Oh, you're going to like this week's unanswered questions. We said last week that we would go through the bag of greens that I used to make the goat sigliari. Mm-hmm. 
and figure out which one was the flavor I didn't like. And you hit it on the head last week. It was the mustard greens. But yeah, of course. <laughs> like, that's an easy guarantee because mustard greens are already kind of a bitter green that a lot of people don't like. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the season where things start to get a little bit more bitter. And also you use bitter techniques of cooking because the way that you cook those greens with that What's it called? Sigillary. Sigillary. <laughs> you need to get the pronunciation correct. Do the pronunciation game again. We haven't done that in a couple of seasons. Yeah, so that was already a, a way that you're going to have greens that are going to be a little bit more bitter anyways. I looked up how to debitterize mustard greens. Oh, yeah? You want to use them as fresh as possible. Right. And you want to pop a little sugar in there. But the recipe we used last week, you'll remember, was Cretan style. Okay. And you asked me, well, what does that mean? Right, right, right. That was when you banged the gong. This topic is so fascinating, I think we could do an entire show on it. Greens? No, Cretan style. Okay. Well, let's get on with it. It weaves together <laughs> a lot of things that we tend to talk about. Uh-huh. So we'll start with Crete. It's the largest of the Greek islands. Greece, of course, is a mainland. But then it's, there's the Grecian islands, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, did you know that Greece has between 1,200 and 1,600 islands, depending on the minimum size that you would call an island. Mm -hmm. And the number of inhabited islands within Greece is between 166 or 227. Hmm. Just a little free tidbit. Yeah, Gr Greece is quite interesting. Okay, so then let's consider the evolution of like any regional diet, right? So before the globalization of the food system, where everywhere on the planet was affected by like this processed food revolution, mm -hmm. any area, any geographical area of the world we can imagine was limited to what was available to grow or raise nearby. Right. I just listened to a farmer talk about how it wasn't that many years ago where that was just the way it was. I mean, and of course, it was less like that in Western civilizations but it still was it within the last hundred years mm -hmm. that that was the marketplace. That was how it worked. Right. All food was regional. Right. So that would make you understand then that the heart of any ethnic, for lack of a better word, cuisine is the flavor profiles, the meats, the vegetables, the herbs, the spices available in their area. So therefore... Sounds exactly like what's at the dinner table. That's why Indian food is Indian food and Mexican food is Mexican right. food. Right. And I mentioned two countries there where goat became kind of a primary meat in their diet. Mm -hmm. But America, being younger, mm -hmm. and right. then for the reasons why it happened, beef is that for us. Right. Okay, so in the late 50s and early 60s, there were two landmark global studies of the way people around the world ate in relation to their health. Mm -hmm. And in both of them, Crete, the island of Crete, yeah. had the healthiest people in the world. Yeah. Low Blue zones. Yeah, almost yeah. no cancer, almost no heart disease. Yeah. Their yeah. their median age was higher without uh -huh. me the medicine that we have now. So naturally, those results got the quote-unquote diet community very curious about this Cretan diet. Mm -hmm. And I know that you already know what they found in these studies, and that is that the core of Cretan cuisine consists of food derived from natural sources. And because they were on an island... Mm -hmm. but a well-populated island for the time, they had to dig into that. There was no outside sources. Right. And so they're eating a lot of greens, a lot of natural vegetables, a lot of stuff that they're growing and preparing. 
Well, whenever I found the recipe, it specifically asked for wild greens. Mm-hmm. Like, and I thought, oh, well, that's easy. Because part of the deal is, is that I am beginning to integrate into when I can taste the flavor, that the flavor is fresh and good on things, and specifically for our diet. But I put in things that I would consider wild greens into our stuff. Mm-hmm. Because that's getting nutrients from our land, you know, into, you know, just this same diet, this exact same diet. The thing is, is that we're so deficient on different types of minerals and things like that, that we need. Some of the deficiencies that we deal with, with like vitamin D really has more to do with the fact that like, there's not enough magnesium in the soil. And so your body doesn't absorb Mm -hmm. the vitamin D from the sun as efficiently as it should, because there's not enough magnesium. I may not have those names exactly right. Please don't quote me on that. But what you understand what I'm saying, and that is that our body doesn't absorb things the same way, or it absorbs different types of toxins. So our bodies are having to evolve through these changes. And in some situations, we're looking at our bodies, the shape of them, the way that they're interacting with different types of pathogens and things like that. And we're making decisions on survival of like, how do we actually want to survive? And so for me, making choices where I don't use pharmaceutical drugs and I don't use pharmaceutical vaccinations, if I can have any, any choice about the matter at all, if I'm choosing that, then what I'm saying is that my evolutionary trajectory for me is that I want to go as close to natural as possible. And how will our body how will my body evolve if I do it that way, what as a- opposed to somebody who does it a different way, not a bad way, not a less than way, a different way. How do we evolve? What do we want to evolve into? I read one article on this topic saying that not only did Crete and, and understand that they have strayed a little bit from that diet because that monster of processed food didn't completely evade this island. We're talking about findings prior to the westernization of this thing. Right. That's the reason why there was such a big, huge pushback in the 80s and probably even before that, but in my historical memory of the westernization of other parts of the country because they were like, no, don't bring your McDonald's over here. Right. <laughs> like, we don't want that over here. But this article said that the Cretans that were living longer were living longer with a very, very high quality of life as opposed to folks that are lengthening their life with pharmaceutical medications that have a very low quality of life. They're not enjoying their extra years because they're unhealthy. What we can't do or what I'm trying to understand and learn how to do is to not be in judgment of that. Because if you look at it in the way that it's like an evolutionary track, our bodies are going to evolve. If we choose the pharmaceutical medicine, that particular thing, we're going to have to evolve with that. I don't believe that there's anything about the pharmaceutical track that is like end of the world. But I do believe that it's different than my choice for evolutionary legacy, evolutionary uh, growth and survival. Mm-hmm. Like, what will we actually turn into? So will we grow to live 200 years old with quality of life? Or will we grow to live 100 years old, but we have to do it with machines? How will we do it? If Wally. You think, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Sorry if I screamed at everyone. The thing is, is that if we think about things that way in evolutionary tracks, we're as a human species, just conscious enough to be able to recognize that there's evolutionary opportunity here. And 
how do we want to evolve? Like, what do we want to grow into? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's fun to have that conscious thought as a human to be able to actually look at evolutionary tracks because we can study places like the blue zones. The primary, basically only oil is olive oil. We're not mm-hmm. using a lot yes. of dairy fats for cooking. That would have been an accessible regional um, thing because they grow olives over there. Everyone grows olives over there. Right. And then, of course, all of the greens, legumes, natural fruits and vegetables being primary with a very low meat amount and the requisite two glasses or so of red wine with every meal. You know, I have been thinking a lot about how we grow things. Like, I think the age that the United States of America is and what we historically base things off of, I've begun to get a better um, understanding or philosophical thought of that. Because if you compare us to places like Greece that are like thousands of years old, right? we don't even know what grows on this land. We haven't been here long enough to even know. And I keep telling people... We don't grow citrus as well in Corpus Christi area and the coastal Bend area as I think we think we did because we haven't been here long enough to see multiple hundred year floods and multiple hundred year freezes and molt and changes like evolutionary changes in the weather and things like that. And I truly, truly believe that we are about to go through call it an ice age. I don't know what that brings to someone's mind. I don't consider that like the end of the world or death or anything like that. But I do believe we're about to go through much colder times here in this Southern tropical region than what we had been dealing with before. So anyways, that gets me thinking about some of these places where, okay, we're trying out olives here. We're trying out grapes here. Mm -hmm. We're trying out things here. And yes, of course, they've grown grapes in California for a very long time. And we're trying to find the best places where things will stay permanently after thousands of years because there are thousand year old olive trees in the Mediterranean. Not to say that there aren't thousand year old trees in North America. Agriculture. Yes. Agriculture. Exactly. So another question came up since last week. We were talking last week about what we were calling the goat that we were cooking. It wasn't a carrito, which is a small goat. It was an actual, a full size goat. And when we received it, it actually still had the testicles on it. You talked about that last week. And then we were talking about how Sofia, who is Spanish, said it's actually a cabron. The funny thing that happened was someone who raises goats, he raises horses and goats, as I understand it, mm-hmm. contacted me and he was like, I need to tell you something. I raise goats. He's like, every time you say roasted goat, it gives me the cringes. <laughs> Thank you for your criticism. This is an interesting conversation, apparently, because what he was saying basically was like, you don't eat pig, you eat pork, and you don't eat cow, cow right. you eat beef. Did you find anything about whether it's, what do we call a goat? Why, yes, I did. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Most Americans call goat meat goat. For, exactly. For simplicity. <laughs> but adult goat meat is known as C-H-E-V-O-N, Chevon. Yeah, okay. In culinary circles. Uh-huh. Italians use the phrase capretto. And Spanish-Portuguese speakers may say cabrito or chivo, C-H-I-V-O. Got it. But here's the other thing that I thought was really interesting. And this is about like cultural conversations and language differences and things like that. Robert is Malaysian and Sophia is Spanish. Right. And they speak multiple languages. They have completely different languages for all different types of words. And so sometimes when you use certain slang words, 
you know, the way we call meat, oh, you've got to call it this and that. You wouldn't call it this or that. Whereas like they kept calling the goat, they actually were calling it lamb. They just called it lamb, all of its lamb to them. Because when you translate, sometimes there's only one word, whereas in in the English language, there's like 12 words, but each different word has a different meaning. We're talking about the female, we're talking about the male. One degree away from whatever. Exactly. And in other languages, the word is lamb. (laughs) That's what we call it, you know? And so they're going to call it lamb every time, even in English. So do you want to call it Siobhan? No, I want to call it goat. Or Chivo? I want to call it goat. Well, speaking of calling animals names, the chicken naming exercise that we asked our friends to help us with last week. Yeah, it's going fun. It's pinned to the top of our Facebook page, Dinner Table Talks. I've seen some good ideas out there. I've got a favorite. I have two favorites. Mm. But we would like a few more of your suggestions to go over to our Facebook page and say hello. I did something today for the first time in maybe 10 years. Oh, yeah? I walked through the doors of Olive Garden. (laughs) That's funny. I said last week after we got done recording, I was going to make Zuppa Toscana. Yes. My first step was to Google a couple of recipes. And every single Zuppa Toscana recipe has a sentence along the lines of, this is the delicious soup made famous by Olive Garden. Mm -hmm. I did not know that when you said it was one of your favorites. I did know that. But I also know that my sister-in-law makes Zuppa Toscana a lot, and that's one of her favorite recipes. So it's one of those things that we eat around here. So then I said, are we doing like a straight-up Olive Garden copycat recipe? (laughs) I think I said, we're doing a straight-up copycat, but nothing we do is straight-up copycat. (laughs) Isn't that what I said? So I did make the Zuppa Toscana. I love Zuppa Toscana. I thought for never making it before, I did a hell of a job. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I avoided the Instant Pot recipe. I think I tend to do that when I do a recipe like this for the first time. You know why? Why? Because soup, soup, I love building a soup. <laughs> so you got your Dutch oven, right? Your one pot. And it begins with chopped bacon. Cook it, pull it out of your pot, leave the grease behind. Then I took my casing sausage mm-hmm. and split the casing, squeezed it out like oh. a toothpaste tube. All the sausage is now out of the casing in that bacon grease, and you fry up your sausage. Nice. Crumble it like ground beef. Yeah. Cook it, pull it out of your pot, leave the grease behind. Cook your onion, then your garlic, then add broth, bring it all to a boil. Add your potatoes, Hmm. and then you're cooking them till they're soft. Then add your chopped greens. This was the bag that you gave me that night. Did it have mustard greens in it? I think it might have, but it mostly had a lot of like broccoli greens, kale, cabbage, spinach. Yeah. Add that to your broth, add your bacon and sausage back in, and then you're cooking it until you're green. You're happy with how everything's cooked down. Are the greens wilted enough? Mm -hmm. Then add a cup of cream, bring it to a boil, salt, pepper, boom. It wasn't hard to make at all. I can't imagine that this is now not in our rotation. It was so good. Yep. It's really good with kale, just straight kale. But if you've got any of those brassica greens, like kale, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, any of those are good in it. 
great way to use sausage. I, it was fun to build this one because I told you this does not have enough salt in it. This does not have enough salt in it, but I'm about to add the bacon and the sausage mm -hmm. back in. And when you add that back in and let it cook for a few minutes, mm -hmm. it, boom, completely balanced out. Yeah. The amount of cream was perfect. It wasn't too creamy. I wanted more greens in it. Oh? Yeah. I thought it was a little bit too meaty. So I wanted a little bit more broth mm -hmm. and definitely more greens. Easy, easy to do. In fact, I'll just take some notes on this recipe so that I remember that next time. Mm -hmm. But I have a surprise for you. What's that? I'm going to the kitchen. I'll be right back. There was a reason I went to Olive Garden. Oh, yes, that's right. You went I picked up a cup of Zupa Toscana from them so I can taste it and see how mine stacks up to this clearly very popular soup. Very nice. Is it gluten-free? It's gluten-free, but it's got sausage in it. Oh, well, I'll have a taste of it anyway. As long as it's gluten-free. Tasting on a podcast is not that exciting. <laughs> got a big chunk of kale. Their sausage didn't grind, grind up kind of as much as mine. Their pieces are bigger. Mm, that's pretty tasty. Yeah, but whose is better? Theirs is better. Oh, <laughs> the reason is, is because those were big chunks of greens and I just got one big chunk of green. Mm -hmm. And also there's just something about the flavoring of it that is a little better. Agree to disagree. Mine was exceptional. Even it was if very it's good. Just, it, it, sh you've said it now. <laughs> even if it's just the heartwarming notion that we're using our own stuff in it. Uh, yeah. I like that big chunk I'm of kale in there. I'm trying not to be chunk of judgmental. <laughs> I don't want to be judgmental. Uh -huh. You go. You like whatever restaurants you like. That, to me, has the flavor of a mass-produced restaurant. You can tell there's a cafeteria wang to it. Probably, yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying. It's the sausage that they're using. The sausage you use in yours is a significantly better sausage. Right. The wang, that, that wang you're talking about, yeah. I think it's the sausage they're using. The sausage gives it a wang. <laughs> You took me on a movie date, and I was actually really excited about it. I told you I love it when we can see a movie together. We can agree on the content. There's no pain entertainment within so that I know that you're completely sated, potentially. <laughs> so when I saw the trailer for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And you asked me if I wanted to go to Alamo or to the regular one. Right. And normally I like to just go to the regular one for two reasons. One, because I like the recliners. Yes. But the second reason is because I like to get one of those really cheap margarita, frozen margarita things they have over right, there. Right, right. But I haven't been drinking during my lit alcohol fast. If you don't have an Alamo in your town, it's one of those kinds of theaters that does two things we like. Number one, there's a full menu and yeah. a full bar. And yeah. number two, the corporate thought there is more into cinema than just the grandiose entertainment. Yeah. So the pre-shows are always really interesting and they've got cool little gimmicks like we got a box full of props when we walked in and I just like the vibe there. But I really was excited about getting to see this movie that we talked about. Now, going why were to. you excited? I had a good feeling about it because of the title. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And then you tell me it's a movie about a multiverse. And then I had seen the trailer before it. I think maybe in one of the movie theaters once when we were watching a movie, I saw a trailer for it. I guess because of the end of the 2021 movie talk, we have recommended a couple of films. Like, we believe you listening to this. Mm -hmm. If you vibe with us here, you would like Come On, Come On. Yep. And Pig. Pig. We're yeah. adding this to the list. I right? think you should see Coda also. Like that's another sure. one. There was a I lot of I saw Coda movies. again at a special screen.
screening that the university put on, and I liked it much better the second time. In all honesty, I was kind of a bummed out that I missed that event because that's an event I like to go to. Yeah, quit uh, double booking yourself. <laughs> but we would add this to the list, right? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Absolutely. It's a movie that I've been telling a lot of people about. And me too. And when we got to the end of the movie, I just looked at you and I was like, that's exactly what I've been trying to explain to you. This is exactly it. I understand exactly how she feels. It's a movie best enjoyed without spoilers of all kinds of different plot details and fun. That's funny because I guess I've been spoiling it all over the place. <laughs> but we can say what's in the trailer. A ordinary woman learns that she can flip through parallel universes that are based on every decision any human ever made, it would be a different path that that human took if they made different decisions. Right. As the film evolves, it gets even bigger than that. Like the butterfly effect or sliding doors. Exactly. Or, yeah. And it made me think of something you told me when we first got together. When I took you on the Hid, very first magical mystery well, tour. <laughs> when you would hide away your magical mystery tour and then bring it out in little spurts and gasps. But you told me that humans can fly. Like Superman. Yes, I, d I believe in that. I don't believe anything's impossible. We just haven't convinced ourselves that we can. Correct. This like, movie. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I did. This movie certainly encapsulates that concept. Yes. And I think that you said it best in the garden last night when we were just hanging out near sunset, mm -hmm. and then friends showed up, and your parents showed up, and yeah. turned into one of those things. Nothing magical about it. <laughs> It's not that there is nothing magical about our life. <laughs> that there are movies that work on two levels. Number one, the entertainment factor of it. And number two, right. there's a metaphysical, help me with the words, spiritual, but that's not exactly right either. The Matrix is where my mind is going, yeah. where there's two levels to the entire thing. And if you decide to take it to a higher level or believe that there is truth in this second level, then it becomes more than just an entertainment experience. Well, like in the movie, there are layers and layers and layers and layers. And that's what I believe. So it's like, it's not that there's like two layers to the movie where it's like, oh, there's a spiritual layer and then there's an entertainment layer. But there's like multiple layers to how someone takes in any type of visual image or piece of artwork or anything. There's like the cultural layer and then there's the historical data layer and then there's the entertainment layer and then there's, there's the popularity layer and there's then there's the subjectivity a... in relation to the material layer who is your god that's a layer in you other know, words like... we like a layer that has a food element that other people might be ambivalent about so a movie like pig where there's a food component is going to speak subjectively to you and i because well, we're interested me, in those things that compartmentalizes sections of the movie and i understand that part of it but like to me a layer would be the fact that I have a empathic physical nature as it relates to anything I see, smell, hear, taste. I have an actual feeling, that empathic feeling. To movies, we've talked about this. This yeah. is the ongoing conversation that right. we're always talking about. You have introduced me to, or in our relationship, you introduced me to more of a cinematic. And I had a background, an education, a professional education in cinema and media and looking at visual arts and communications and how do we communicate in those things. Mm -hmm. But you brought a different layer of looking at film to me. So that's a layer of how you look at film sure. different than how someone else might look at a movie. Sure. And all of those things added together are subjectivity. Right. And what's interesting about that piece of 
whatever philosophical conversation is that that's everything everywhere all at once. That's a huge part of the movie is these layers upon layers of things that shift so easily. So when I saw it, I loved it. Then a couple of days later, I had my conversation with my boys on the other podcast about it. Right. And then since then, I have found myself talking about it with everyone I come in contact with that I would have a conversation like, seen any good movies lately? Yeah. I think it's a movie that will work its way into pop culture the way The Matrix did, mm-hmm. even if at its beginning it doesn't make the as maybe as large of a splash as The Matrix did. For one thing, we are going to movies differently than we used to. But number two, this movie will have a tremendous amount of word of mouth and legs based on once people see it, they recommend it to other people. Mm-hmm. But I'm recommending it to everyone. I mean, it is just... It just works on both of those levels. You're going to enjoy it for a cinematic fun thrill ride. But number two, if you can open your mind up a little bit, it's telling us something. There's so many things that go on in my mind about this movie that I have a hard time keeping on track. Mm -hmm. I was at the farmer's market yesterday talking to one of your Baron and Movie guys about the movie. And it's just like the everything, everywhere, all at once life, that physical feeling of feeling that experience is what I'm trying to explain. And I told you right at the end of the movie, I said... What you're going to begin to see is more and more, and I was telling this to David as well, what you're going to begin to see is more and more people taking the same story. And of course, there's different like elements of story, but the, but the basic through line of these multiverses and this insanity loop and, you know, just all of these things that I've been talking about all the time and the choices that we make and the stories we make up inside our minds and our actual powers, if we connect to the unity of what we are as a collective consciousness, all of these through line conversations, more and more people are going to begin coming out, trying to show us visual art for it, movies, TV shows, you know, I think Free Guy would fall into the category of the same type of movie. Okay. Like Legoland. I think there's an element, because I thought Free Guy and Legoland had a lot in common. There's The these, Lego movie? Yeah. The, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. The Lego movie mm-hmm. where the guy is like, he's just doing Everything what he's supposed to be awesome. doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of these interesting ways that we're beginning to look at. And of course, some of the first places that you go to it is in this the sci-fi universe where the film goers that love sci-fi film are ready for this. We can watch Foundation. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Exactly. Blue Minds in 1969, I think. Yeah. And then the multiverses with the superheroes. Right. The Eternals. And just all of these like concepts. It's people take the layers off of this understanding of the evolutionary collective consciousness. What are we? What are we? What are these philosophical thoughts that we have? What's going on out there in the universe and the other galaxies that we now know exist? What's occurring in the soil and in the sea? We don't even know the layers of things going on around us. We are limited by what we currently know. We only know what we know. And we are learning new things every day. So And we are learning new things every day. And more people are on this earth every day. Yeah. So exponentially then, your mind goes to the idea that we have only begun to know what there is to know. I think we work from this weird position. I do. And to catch myself. Yeah, I know everything. I don't require new thought. I don't require instruction. I don't require a suggestion. Because I know it all. (laughs) I don't know anything. I know the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. Go ahead. I know the most important thing is that that we are not separate. 
that we are a part of the same entity and that we are all connected. Mm -hmm. That knowingness in my knowing supersedes all other, know all other knowing until I know more. Right, right. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, from hot dog fingers to cannonballing onto butt plugs to Rakakuni and everything in between, like, you need to go see this movie. In fact, we'll give you a couple weeks to do so. Yeah. We might want to talk about it again in the future. From a bagel with everything on it mm -hmm. to a butt plug. Right. This movie has everything everywhere all, all at, once. at once. Yes. And it's funny because you came out a couple days later after you'd done some research about it and you said one of the things that people are saying is they were exhausted when they were watching this movie. And when it came to the end of the movie, the final scene in the movie, and I looked at you and I said, that's exactly how I feel. And you said people are feeling exhausted from this movie. I said, that's the reason why I'm so constantly trying to explain how it feels to be me and what I'm experiencing, because it is exhausting until you begin to understand it. And when you watch this movie, you'll understand exactly what I mean, because when you get to the very end of this movie, she understood it. She had to go through a period of time where she did not, and then she did. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everything, everywhere, all at once, you should go check this one out. Definitely. Well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question that we can deep dive into? All right, randomly philosophical. If you had an intro song that played every time you walked into a room, what would it be? This one is an easy question for me. And when I ran for mayor, I wanted this to be my theme song, but I couldn't get the rights to it. Okay. <laughs> I asked. And they ignored me. They saw it and they ignored me. Okay. <laughs> my song would be What's My Name by DMX. <laughs> <laughs> we did try to get the yes. rights to put that on a television commercial. Yes. I wanted it so bad. <laughs> oh. That would be a good one. Uh, every time that song comes up, it, I just turn it up and I blast it. And I'm like, I'm all up DMX. I'm all hardcore. What's my name? <laughs> That would be good. That would be good. So when you go to the baseball games, coming up to bat, it's first and base. Play the song. And it's it's always, you know, turn down for what? Or, you know. What's my name? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's definitely a baseball player that has that one out there. But there's always one, like, sarcastic player with a great sense of humor that does, you know, sunshine, lollipops, and rain. So mine's not going to be, like, hard, throbbing hip-hop. It's going to be jazz. And it's either, I can't remember if it's either, it's John Cole. I will have an answer for this one next week. It's either John Coltrane or Miles Davis. It's... And then it... And that would be my... That is your song. Theme song. He does make that noise a lot. <laughs> You know, we have never stolen music that we needed to license and put it. Uh, it's such an easy thing to do. I see kind of amateur podcast people doing that all the time. It's yeah. like they would play What's My Name and they would play this song. Yeah. But we don't do that. No, but this we're is the situation where yeah. we really would want to. But uh, instead, we'll just leave you with this. <laughs> The sausage gives it a wang. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. No, but we're a... No, but we're a... This is going nowhere. This is not interesting. <laughs> this hasn't been entertaining at all. <laughs> we're not entertaining at all today. Sorry. No, this is well, going to be one of those kind of podcasts where we're just not entertaining you guys. So get ready. Welcome to the dinner table. We're not here to entertain you tonight. <laughs>